Hello and welcome to Crime Theories of the Record, the podcast series where I talk about my interpretation of crime theories. This is your host, Karen. Hello everyone, happy Wednesday and soon happy holidays for those observing any festivities over the weekend and following week. I just wanted to thank every listener who has embarked on this journey with me as our first season has come to an end. But don't worry, I'll be back with more crime theories after the holidays. For today's episode, I'll be introducing you to the early control theory known as reckless containment theory. But before we jump into this, I would like to remind everyone that I have done some research on the topic, but don't consider myself an expert in every aspect of my field. Now, before getting started, let me introduce you to Walter Reckless. American criminologist Walter C. Reckless was well known for his containment theory, which focused on what stops people from engaging in crime, or rather, what contains people. This containment theory consists of inner self-controls and outer social controls, such as a personal sense of right and wrong to others who influence the person that may hinder another person from committing a crime. He was also raised intellectually in the tradition of the Chicago school. He would come to offer one of the most elaborate and for some time influential control theories. He would explore not only different sources of control but also a problem that was ignored by Shaw and McKay, which is not why many youths in these organized areas became delinquent but why some youths did not. Later, scholars would use the term resiliency to describe youngsters who, despite facing and displaying of criminogenic risk factors, nonetheless resist crime and pursue conventional lives. Reckless obtained his doctorate at the University of Chicago during the mid-1920s at the point of theoretical dominance for the Chicago School. Consistent with the Chicago School tradition, Reckless worked with Robert Park and Ernest Burgess. He would eventually undertake a dissertation on prostitution. Reckless also was influenced by the ideas in the Chicago School about social psychology and their relevance for criminology. He asserted that in the early 1940s that the central problem lay in explaining differential responses. By this, he meant that criminology ought to pursue a search for self-factors that could explain why some individuals succumb to social pressures, leading to crime and delinquency, whereas others remain relatively law-abiding in the same circumstances, partly as a result of his search for self-factors during the 1940s and 1950s. Reckless 1961 was able to present what he called his containment theory in some detail at the beginning of the 1960s. Like Durkheim and the members of the Chicago School in general, Reckless argued that the great social transformation from life in fairly simple, integrated, aggregating societies to life in complex, technologically sophisticated, highly industrialized urban environments plays a different set of pressures on the individual and the social order. As he revised his theory during the 1960s, Reckless 1967 became more explicit about how the historical transformation represented a new pitch, also understood as the new situation in social psychological terms. Turning specifically to an examination of crime in the modern world, Reckless focused attention on the individualization of the self. As a control theorist, Reckless did not purport to offer a theory of crime causation. Indeed, he suggested that a variety of factors such as biophysical forces, psychological pressures, social conditions might quote-unquote push a person toward crime 
or delinquency and that other factors might pull one toward misbehavior. He recognized that the leading sociological theories in particular seem to have effectively analyzed many of the central pushes and pulls. Off the record, one of his more graphic analogies compared to a theology of crime and delinquency to that of malaria, insisting that the sociological theories stressing social structural forces be complemented by social psychological concepts emphasizing differential responses. I know, it sounds like a rhyme. Anyways, Reckless's containment theory was meant to explain why in spite of the various criminogenic pushes and pulls, whatever they might be, conformity remains the general state of affairs. He argued that to commit a crime or delinquency requires the person to break through a combination of outer containment and inner containment that together tend to protect the person from both the pushes and the pull. With rare exceptions, only when these powerful containing forces were weakened could deviance happen. And even then, it was not assured, given that containment theory was considered a risk theory dealing in probabilities. Every weakening of containment was seen as tending to increase the odds for non-conformity by opening a breach in the armor provided by external social control and internal self-control. Now, Reckless's attraction to control theory called containment has two other potential sources. First, he was influenced by the work on personal and social controls by Albert Rees, 1951, whose theories was discussed in a previous episode. Second, he attributed the origins of his theory to his travels in the Middle East when he still contemplated studying archaeology. He was struck by how regulated or quote-unquote contained social behavior was and thus by the lack of outward displays of deviance. These insights he explained would later help to shape his thinking on crime. The listing of factors involved in outer containment deferred somewhat in various statements of containment theory as Reckless 1967 attempted to refine his theoretical position. He pointed out that the key factors binding the individual to the group might vary across different types of societies. Concentrating on the external containment model for modern urban industrial mobile society, he stressed reasonable limits, meaningful roles and activities, and several complementary variables such as reinforcement by groups and significant supportive relationships, acceptance, and the creation of a sense of belonging and identity. For Reckless, however, the emphasis was inner containment. In contemporary society, the person who at one point might be operating in a context of powerful outer containment provided by regulating limits, meaningful roles, and a sense of integration into a particular family, organization, or community might in a short time be operating in another context with few regulations, meaningless activities, and a sense of alienation. Inner containment, on the other hand, would tend to control the person to some extent no matter how the external environment changed. Reckless 1967 identified the key factors here as including self-concept, goal orientation, frustration tolerance, and norm retention. The importance assigned to self-concept echoed Cooley's inconsistence on the significance of the quote-unquote looking glass self. Members of the Chicago school, such as Sean McKay, focused attention on the manner in which certain natural areas in high delinquency tended to produce 
quote-unquote bad voice. As a control theory is concerned with differential response, Reckless asks the opposite question. Why were there still so many good boys in these swamps of high delinquency? Starting in 1955 with Simmons, Dinitz, and others, he initiated a series of studies examining the question of resilience, of how boys can be good in delinquency areas. Reckless and his colleagues concluded that such boys were quote-unquote insulated by favorable self-concepts. This study suggested that an image of oneself as a law-abiding person of a sort not headed for trouble served to keep potential delinquents in relative conformity despite the pushes and pulls that I explained earlier. The research suggested that parents were the most influential sources of favorable self-concept, with teachers and other authority figures also having some influence. Reckless 1967 maintained that inner containment also greatly dependent on goal orientation. Defined as a sense of direction in life involving an orientation toward legitimate goals and an aspiration level, quote-unquote, synchronized with approved and realistically obtainable goals, this approach ran directly opposite to the strain theory notion that social aspirations tended to become a major source of crime and delinquency because they were so frequently frustrated due to inadequate opportunity to achieve the goals in question. Instead, containment theory treated such goal orientation as providing a sense of direction that would keep the individual on the straight and narrow path of conformity. Such perspective implied either 1. The assumption that opportunities actually were widely available when was assumed by strain theory so that reasonable success goals were indeed realistically obtainable, and 2. The assumption that a realistic goal orientation would involve a scaling down of aspirations on the part of many people, or 3. Both of these assumptions. This insights concerning the controlling role of goal orientation anticipated Hershey's 1969 discussion of the social bond of commitment. Considering frustration tolerance as a major factor in inner containment, containment theory accepted the possibility that the control of biophysical urges toward deviance may be very frustrating and that contemporary society indeed may generate considerable frustration as a result of facts such as differential opportunity. It did not argue against efforts to deal with the sources of crime and delinquency by movement toward greater equality of opportunity, but it suggested that part of the differential response to familial, economic, political, and sexual frustrations can be accounted for by the fact that different people have developed different capacities for coping with frustration and that contemporary individualism generally is characterized by low frustration tolerance and consequent lack of self-control. Thus, Reckless 1967 maintained that the contemporary individual develops a very low frustration tolerance to the ordinary upsets, failures, and disappointments in life, and that this may result in the inability to exert self-control, to tolerate frustration, to recognize limits, and to relate to others. Of the record, this insights anticipated the discussion of ACNU 1992 and 2006 general strain theory regarding factors that condition the response to strain either toward or away from crime. A component of inner containment norm retention referred to the adherence to commitment to, acceptance of, identification with, legitimation of, and defense of values, norms, laws, codes, institutions, and customs. Although the emphasis on goal orientation stressed the integration of the individual through the containing power of direction toward legitimate ends, the emphasis on norm retention stressed the integration of the individual
individual through identification with acceptable means. But for containment theory, the key problem here was not norm retention, but rather norm erosion, or understanding the processes by which these containing factors sometimes was corrupted to allow for the possibility of crime and delinquency. Norm erosion was described as including alienation from, emancipation from, withdrawal of legitimacy from, and neutralization of formerly internalized ethics, morals, laws, and values. These insights anticipated Hershey's 1969 concept of belief, and his claim that the weakening of belief in the moral validity of norms frees a person to offend. To recap, as we have learned, however, Reckless fleshed out this central premise through his discussion of sources of criminal motivation and types of containment. Nevertheless, it is difficult to report on the empirical status of containment theory as the theory is complex, having various constructs that could have to be measured. Now, if you love what you have learned so far, join me after the holidays as I will venture into the skies and matza, neutralization and drift theory. Thank you for listening and choosing this podcast. This episode is brought to you by Encore. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Spotify or whatever platform you're listening from. And don't forget to tune in for the next episode. Off the record, if you need help visualizing these theories, go check us up on Instagram at ct.offtherecord.